0: All right, good evening, everybody. Tonight, we're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. If you want to turn there in your Bibles, 1 Corinthians chapter 1. While you're turning there, we'll pray and begin. Lord, we thank you for the opportunity to take tonight, set it aside for you, um, to let our kids uh, be immersed in your word and loved on and, and for ourselves, Lord, to take this time to be refreshed. We know that times of refreshing come from your presence. There's no better place to be than in your Word. It's the it's the spiritual food we need. It's what we eat. It's what we have to have to sustain ourselves. And so, Lord, we thank you for it, and we pray that you'd feed us tonight. We pray your Holy Spirit would be our teacher and guide. Um, we th- we know your love. We we uh, we know what you've said, you've done for us. But tonight, we want to draw closer to you. We've we've taken this hour or so and um, dedicated it to you, Lord. Help us to stay focused on you throughout. In Jesus' name, Amen. As we went through the book of Acts and we saw Paul uh, get saved and begin to just be radically transformed for the Lord, his service was unparalleled um, because he knew. And I think that's what encourages people to serve God when they know how much Christ has done for them. Um, You can motivate people through incentives, through attaboys and kudos and encouragement and, and all these things. and, and uh, But that's, that doesn't last long. It only lasts until the next down, and then you got to slap them on the back again and encourage them again and keep going because they're relying on that praise from men. But Paul never relied on that. His praise came from God. His encouragement came from his relationship and his love for Jesus because of Christ's love for him. And from that love and from that relationship with Jesus, he was a man set on fire. And um, that's what Paul expected from everyone else. And he didn't understand when that wasn't there. And so he wrote to the Romans and encouraged them in their faith and encouraged them in solid sound doctrine and to continue. And you'll see that common theme throughout all the epistles to continue, continue, you know nobody told Paul to continue. Why is that? That's always been my question. I I appreciate the letters and I grew from those letters and I read those letters, but I also understood the author. And it's like, why didn't Paul need that? And who did that for him? Because Barnabas and him separated early in the ministry. Paul had what I believe Jesus gave to all of us but Paul relied on more than anybody, and that's rivers of living water that came from him, from the source, the Holy Spirit in him pouring out of him. God wants that for every single born again believer. We emphasize that more and more. It seems like there are Christians in name, and then there's born again believers that it is, they are an undoubted or an undisputed well of life, you can go to that born again believer and there is bubbling up from them, from the source of the Holy spirit in them, life and wisdom and love. And it's all there. Um, that has to be in every person, every single person, every believer, And something to be desired from each one of us that, uh, Our encouragement and our source of strength for service to the Lord and worship of God needs to come from within, from the Holy Spirit. When Paul writes to the Romans, he gives them a lot of doctrine, and we covered all that, and and we're encouraged in that. Now, he is coming back here in 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians to a church that he planted in the book of Acts. We read about it in chapter 18, and he spent a year there. It was after he had been sort of... Not defeated, but it was a downtime for him at Mars Hill, if you remember that. Um, he was on the, uh, on, on the hill where they would all proclaim what they believed. Everybody had a podium. Everybody could share what they believed. And Paul took that opportunity as he looked around and saw the idolatry at this place. He says, I need to share Christ. And so he's, I'm here to tell you about the unknown God. And he went on and on and on and never quite got to the name of Jesus. And they said, we'll hear you again tomorrow because he mentioned the resurrection. They didn't want to listen anymore. And it was, it was a bummer for him to, without a doubt, the next place he falls to after that is Corinth. And there he preached nothing but Jesus Christ and him crucified. It's like he got right to it, you know? and that's what he shared and Jesus actually stood beside him encouraged him at that point at that time in that place of Corinth you can no one's going to harm you here you don't need to be afraid you can and he stayed there a year or longer just sharing Jesus with this church planting this church a revival must have taken place obviously or not even a revival a a moment like what Peter had in the book of acts chapter two and three, when he preaches the gospel and 3,000 people get saved. Something miraculous happened here at the city of Corinth. Corinth was a city known for sin like you, well, like we still experience today. Sometimes we get this idea that they were mostly holy back then, and we've just gotten progressively worse. No, there's nothing new under the sun. Anything we're experiencing now, as far as sin goes, or you read in the news, it was happening then too. And what you find is more of a pendulum happening. Super sin, revival, loving the Lord, then back to super sin again. And that's kind of what we see in the history of mankind. Well, Corinth was in, well, they were in full swing in the wrong direction. And so they were ripe. They were ready for salvation. Oftentimes it takes that pendulum in someone's life, or in a country's life, or a city's life, or wherever, to get clear over to the bottom, to the end, to the worst, to the worst. In fact, there's got to be something better than this. Because there's nothing at the end of this. I have, as Solomon said, reached the extent of all sin, and I've found nothing. It's all vanity. I've tried everything. And Paul shows up and says, there is hope. And what people think in the world is that uh, that my happiness and my joy is going to come from gratification of everything and every whim that I've ever wanted or desired in my life. And some people have had that shot at that, Solomon being one of them, but many, many people have. And they've come to the mountain of sin at the top, the pinnacle of gratifying their flesh, and they find it's absolutely worse here than it was at the bottom of the mountain. Now I have nothing but regret and guilt and shame. And so they look for hope. Paul shows up with that hope, plants this church. They're more than happy to accept Christ as their Lord and Savior to the point where there's this thriving, gifted, I'll say gifted, church. I won't say fruit, but I will say gifted church. And Paul finds himself having to write these first and second Corinthians to correct them. Paul's a tough cookie, he's a strong cup of coffee. I've said that many times. Most of Paul's letters are all corrective. There's a few that aren't. There's a few that just encourage people in their walk. But for the most part, he's had to come back and say, ho, 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 Galatians, who's bewitched you? You know? Or the Corinthians. How did you get here? kind of thing. I'm hearing things in your church, and we're going to read this, that's going on that that even the unbelievers are surprised are taking place. The Corinthian church is a gifted church. In other words, they move in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. They have a problem, though. They don't have the fruit of the Holy Spirit. The fruit of the Holy Spirit is love. We read that. Galatians 5.22, love. And then there's several things listed after that word love that are the attributes of that love. And one of those things is self-control. The Corinthian church doesn't have self-control. They pride themselves on excusing sin and they're very popular for it. They pride themselves on who they learn from. They're segregated even within the church itself. I'm of Apollos. I am of Paul. And they've not just denominations, in this church, they have sects, groups. And it's very dangerous and there's no unity. But the gifts are thriving in such a way that their, their order, their, their meetings are chaotic. They're out of order. Somebody comes in and says, this is crazy. This is not right. This, 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 this is scary. You know, there was no self-control so as I studied for this, and I got prepared for this, because I like I like this letter, and I don't. <laughs> I love it. I love God's word. Don't mis- don't misunderstand me. But it's a it's a tough letter to, to read because it is corrective, and and, and and we get tired of that sometimes. But and we can. I understand that. Want encouragement? This is encouragement. This is Paul as a spiritual father to this church. The best way he can encourage this church. Just like you would come to your unbelieving brother or sister or friend or relative or whoever it may be and try to explain to them why they need Christ, the bad news comes so that the good news can be accepted. You know, the Corinthian church believes they're living a spirit-filled life, but they're lacking and they're not living a spirit-filled life. They're living a gifted life, but they're taking pride in those gifts and they're inside their spiritual walk with Jesus is deficient. It's anemic and so Paul comes along because he doesn't want him to just have gifts. He wants them to have fruit. That's all God's looking for. Every parable we read, he's looking to the tree to see if it has fruit, not branches, not leaves, not size, not roots even. Does it have fruit? I'm looking for fruit. And the Corinthian church is sorely lacking in the fruit of the Holy Spirit, which is love, gentleness, patience, long-suffering, kindness. Self-control, they're lacking. So Paul writes this letter in verse 1. Paul called an apostle of Jesus Christ through the will of God and Sosthenes, our brother, to the church of God, which is at Corinth, to those who are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called saints, with all who in every place call on the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, both theirs and ours. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. You can mark in your Bible how many times he says the name Jesus Christ or Christ Jesus or Jesus or mentions God. Because the church in Corinth has forgotten where it all came from and how it all started. He begins with who he is. I'm an apostle, not by my will, he says, but by God's will. I didn't ask for this. God called me to this. Believe me, if you read Paul's transformation and road to Damascus, he did not ask for this. It was thrust upon him. If there was ever a call thrust upon somebody, this was it. Paul, I've got a job for you. You're going to minister to the Gentiles, and you're going to be blind for a while to start. There was no asking. He put it upon him. Paul says, I was called to be an apostle by Jesus Christ through the will of God, not through my own will. Most of the men of God who were ever called to serve God in any meaningful way or not meaningful, but well published way, all were a little leery of the call, all a little skeptical about their abilities or whatever. And God would encourage them in these things saying, it's not you, it's me. Basically, that's the short version. But it will be me working through you. All I need is the empty vessel. Would you please accept this calling? And it wasn't so much of an ask. Moses tried to wriggle his way out of it several different ways. And finally he says, fine, I'll give you Aaron, but you're going. You're going to go. All right. And he goes. They were reluctant, but they were called and challenged And the Corinthian church at this point has rejected their spiritual father, Paul, and has accepted other people that have come in and these other ministers are beating them and are using them and are fleecing them. Fleecing means they take the sheep for what they're worth, take off the value and throw them back out again. That's what fleecing the sheep means. And Paul is brokenhearted because as a father, nobody wants to see that. As a a dad... Of three young ladies, you look for the man and you hope for the man that's going to love them like you love them, that cares for them like you care for them, that sees them as special as you see them. You know, that's what you want. And if you've ever been or experienced anything other than that, a boyfriend maybe that slipped into their life that treats them other than the way they should be treated, as a father, your blood boils. It's like, whoa, you know, Wait a minute. Now, I only say that, not that I've experienced that through the men that have come into my daughter's lives. That hasn't happened. They're exceptional. I've been that guy, though. I've been the guy before I was saved in girls' lives that was not looking for their best interest. that did not love them like their fathers loved them. And unfortunately, the parents weren't paying attention like they should be. I was the wolf. That's where I'm coming from on this. Paul, as a father, sees this church as his children and sees these men coming in, ministering to them, and it's wrong and it makes his blood boil. And what bothers him the most is that these children invite these men into their lives, bring them in, think that's what they need, are looking out for their best interests, And it. Paul's not going to stand for it, so he writes this. I was called an apostle by Jesus Christ, not by my will, but God's will. And I'm writing to you because you're the church of God that's at Corinth. There's other people. There are The Bible calls it the church worldwide, but it also specifies churches. There are separate churches, but there's the church worldwide. So it's not wrong to use either of those terms. Well, there's only one church. Of course there is. But Calvary Chapel is a church. Lord Street Baptist is a church. There are churches all over the world, Africa and so on. We're a part of the worldwide church, but we are churches individually. And so Paul is writing to this church in Corinth. This letter is for you, but not only for you, not only for the ones that are set apart for Christ Jesus and called saints, but all who in every place call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's us. This church is for Calvary Chapel, or this letter is for Calvary Chapel, Maryville. It's for us. And it's for every other church in town also. For us to read and take to our heart. Sometimes when we read these things, and I'm guilty of it, is you compare or you think, oh boy, you know, I hope they read this and get it. I hope that person understands that. Oh, I hope people, so, I hope so-and-so is taking notes. Oh, I need to send this to somebody. I need to get this to, Now it's for us. It's for me. And so it's for every Christian that's ever called Jesus. This book is for them. And so I take it to heart myself. I watch it. I read it. He says, I thank my God always concerning you for the grace of God, which was given to you by Christ Jesus, that you were enriched in everything by him, in all utterance, in all knowledge, even as the testimony of Christ was confirmed in you, so that you come short in no gift, eagerly waiting for the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ. Who will also confirm you to the end, that you may be blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful, by whom you were called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Jesus, 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 Jesus. Over and over again, Paul is making a not-so-subtle point with them. They had gotten to the place where they were known as a person. J.D. Dirks is known as, I am the, I'm, I'm, I'm the, uh, the tongues guy. At church, I do tongues. Oh yeah, and 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 Bob over here, I'm the I'm the miracle guy at church, and over here, well, I'm the guy of Apollos, and I'm the guy of this. And they were taking pride in the things that they were doing in the name of Jesus Christ. They were taking pride in who baptized them, in who was their teacher, who they clung to. I am of Chuck Smith. I am of John Corson. I am of Raul Reese. I am of. Uh, Piper. I am of whoever. That's my guy. That's who I am. Paul is making it very clear. It is Jesus that saved you. It is Jesus that is saving you. It is Jesus that set you apart. It is Jesus that will continue to set you apart. It is Jesus that gave you all the wisdom that you think you have. It is Jesus that gave you all the knowledge and the understanding and the gifts that you operate in. It all comes from Jesus. If you're praising anybody other than Jesus in your life, you're in error. It's always been him. It always is him. It continues to be him eight different times so far. He's mentioned the name Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ. Don't forget Don't forget, I thank God always. This is a a backhanded compliment. I thank my God always concerning you, not necessarily for you. You read that? Concerning you for the grace of God, which was given to you. I'm so thankful. I pray every day, God, thank you for the grace you're giving the Corinthians. Because if they're not, he is. And he wants them to know that. You need to be giving thanks to God for the grace you've been given. Not look at us now kind of thing. It's a very dangerous place to be. This is almost worse to be in the Corinthian church than it was to be an unbeliever. Almost. Saved. Yeah. But they're doing damage as saved people. They're walking with the Lord and doing gifts, but they were making people feel horrible around them for not having the same gifts as them, making them feel less. That's one of the reasons Calvary Chapel started. For this very reason. We're a non-denominational church. And we're non-denominational, not because we want to be inter-denominational. We don't. We want to be non-denominational. The body of Christ is divided up into different things based off of tiny little segments of Scripture that they make their focus. This is our focus, so we call ourselves that. So we call ourselves Calvary because we want to be focused on Jesus Christ and His crucifixion. But we don't want to be divided over the smaller things, over the things that well that divide. They're not appropriate. Some churches thrive on the fact that you must speak in tongues. Some people thrive on the fact that you must be baptized. Some people thrive on worshiping on the Saturday. And everybody calls themselves by those things. If you want to know much about a church, look at their title. I grew up in the Lutheran church. You don't think much of it until you realize, oh, because they're of Martin Luther. I'm of Apollos. I'm of Cephas. I am of Paul. Oh, don't want to hurt feelings, but I'm at the Baptist church. Why do they call themselves that? Because it's about baptism. It's the thing. It's the thing. Is there anything wrong with baptism? Well, we're going to read here in a minute, a little, a little bit. In this first chapter, Paul's going to hit this. Seventh-day Adventist. We're the seventh day Adventists. We worship on the seventh day. Now, just by naming these, it sounds divisive. How do you talk about it then? How do you clear it up and understand what non-denominational is if we don't bring it to the surface? You've got to. It's hard. Paul has a hard job. At the end of Paul's walk with the Lord, he really doesn't have anybody with him. And this is the guy that didn't need any encouragement from anybody, was filled with the Holy Spirit, wrote much of the New Testament, most of the epistles, encouraging other believers to walk more solidly with the Lord. And at the end of it, then a whole lot of people were interested in being right next to Paul. I have nobody but Timothy, he says, to send to you. This person's left. This person's gone on. This person's gone back. The walk with Jesus, the walk in the Holy Spirit, is a very—it's um, a—it's a military walk. It is a sports reference walk. If you're going to use sports, Paul uses all these things to encourage us. You are enlisting. You are a competitor. Um, there takes it takes discipline. You need to walk with the Lord because there will be. Um, a chorus of voices to your right and to your left telling you, get off the path. Get off the path. Get off the path. Come this way. It's easier. Come this way. We're not so. I got to focus. Paul stayed focused. And he wrote some pretty rough letters. I had a guy a long time ago that I let him teach. I took let him take over the Wednesday Bible study for an entire summer. And I taught the youth out in the shed when we had the shed over here. And I did the youth. And he came in here and did. I turned not a lot of the... Elders were like, "Are you sure you want to do that?" I, "Yes, man, that was a mistake, <laughs> one of many I've made." At the end of it, he was a mm, he was a Rob Bell kind of guy. I don't know if you know who Rob Bell is. Turned out to be a Rob Bell guy, and he wrote some post about how. oh, I gotta Be careful! I'm looking for. <laughs> too late now, children. Anyway, there was a post on one of the social media things, and he had been gone from the church a long time and had been bad mouthing us for a long time. And I was like, it's yeah, fine. You don't have to love us. I don't care. Um, but he was a believer, I thought, and he wrote something as a believer that I said, you can't, that can't stand because my son, JC, read it. He says, oh, there's so and so. Look at his post. And I read the post. And I'm like, we well, was standing there, well, with alcohol in his hand, fine, whatever. Not going to be hung up about that. Everybody can do their own thing, whatever you want to do, fine. But his comment was, someone told me that um, after you get married, after you get married, um, I'm trying to be careful about this, there's no way to be careful. Um, Being intimate with your wife is less than when she was your girlfriend. He was boasting about how his after-married intercourse was as good as his premarital intercourse. That's fornication. We don't do that as Christians. I don't know why we stopped talking about that, but you're not to have any physical relationship with a boy or a girl until after you're married. It's not supposed to happen. Maybe it does. Maybe it's common, but it's absolutely sin. Sin. There is no way around it. It is wrong. And unless you're married, you should have no physical contact intimately with anybody other than your future spouse. And once you have your spouse, absolutely. Paul writes these hard things to people. We have to say these hard things out loud. Somewhere along the line, the Corinthian church boasted in the fact that they could put up with this sin and put up with that sin, in fact, not call it sin anymore, and that it was okay. And we're, oh, let's just all love. I mean, because love is really looking past all the faults and flaws. And they call those faults and they call sin faults and flaws. No, sin is the reason Jesus Christ died on the cross. It's the reason he was sent as a rescue mission to save us from the hell that we were going to because of our sins to call them faults and less thans and to overlook those things is to nullify and void the cross. The cross is meant to save me from sin. So when this person and I reached out to this person and says, you know, you're a believer and I've let things go so far. I said, but I can't let this go. You cannot boast about these things as a believer. You're an error. Well, I will never teach my kid to be as judgmental as Calvary Chapel. I said, so you're not going to let him read Corinthians one, Corinthians two, Galatians, because if you're calling what I just said to you, judgmental, then you can't read most of the New Testament letters that Paul wrote to the church correcting them on the sin that they were engaged in. You can't read it. Paul's the most judgmental guy. According to that definition of judgment, Paul's the most judgmental guy that's ever lived. He's always telling us what we can't do. He's always watching us and telling us we can't sin. Well, yeah. He's supposed to. And so are we but it is not popular and it is not easy to do. And you know what? There are some days when it's just easier to say, you know what? Have it your way. I'm tired of being looked at as the bad person. I'm tired of people leaving and going someplace else where they don't talk about those things like you do. Then go. It's hard. Paul is such a good, strong brother. This isn't going to be a popular letter but I'm going to write it anyway. And I want you to read it to the entire church publicly. He names names. He goes on in verse 10. Now I plead with you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment For it has been declared to me concerning you, my brethren, by those of Chloe's household. He names the person. He doesn't have straw people in his life. I love that about Paul. I've heard some rumors that there's some things going on. No, Chloe's house came and told me you were doing this. So everybody in the room that's getting read that letter all went. And Chloe's like, hi, everybody. That's a tough place to be. Or Chloe's in the back going, I'm, yeah, you know, I'm telling, I'm telling Paul, I told dad of Chloe's household that there are contentions among you. There's infighting, there's clicks, there's subtle conversations in this room and conversations in this room and things happening and boiling underneath the surface. Now I say this, that each of you says, I am of Paul. He puts himself in there. He doesn't want them to all be of Paul. He's not egotistical. He's not saying, I wish you guys would all remember that I'm the guy. I'm the guy that did it. He's not saying that. He's saying, no, no, you should. Paul made disciples of Jesus. Now go follow Jesus. Apollos made disciples of Jesus. Now go follow Jesus. That's what every good apostle does. That's what every good pastor does. That's what every good Christian does is teaches people to go follow Jesus. And not worry about whether they're still calling them or not for advice. How come you don't call me anymore? I thought I was your spiritual mother. I thought I was your spiritual father. No, I'm following Jesus. He's given it to me directly now. No, what do you mean? Oh, it's exactly what we're striving for. My kids are like, I hope one day. Do you need any spiritual advice? No, dad, I read my Bible. Oh, no, I have the Holy Spirit. No, I have my own walk. No, I was convicted all on my own. I didn't need you to look at me like that, you know. I don't get to look at you like that anymore. I love casting judgmental eyes at the dinner table, you know. I'm of Paul. I'm of Apollos. I'm of Cephas. That's Peter. I'm of Christ. What? Yes. He even put Jesus in that. What does that mean even? He's going to explain. Was Paul, is Christ divided? No. Was Paul crucified for you? No. These are rhetorical questions. Paul loves rhetorical questions. The answer is no. Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? And then he goes on to talk about baptism a little bit. And I want us to pay attention to this. This isn't to be divisive, this is to help us to understand the gospel, the good news does not include baptism the gospel of jesus christ does not include baptism baptism is our first act of obedience for being christians but you become a christian first then you're baptized but being a christian or becoming a christian has nothing to do with the water or the baptism never has neither is christening you cannot christen a baby into the kingdom of god it's not biblical I know that's hard to hear because we've grown up with that in traditions. I was christened. They put me in this big, long white dress as a boy. They've got pictures of me. It was actually water from the Jordan that my somebody had brought back, and they poured it in the baptismal. That's how they do it. When you, when you have the little baptismal here, your, your little christening thing, and they pour the water. And you got to do this. so it goes, and You see the trickling and the lights hit it. <sighs> we do our thing. I don't mean to make fun, but I mean to make fun because it's theatrical. And the family's all standing there. We walk over and there's the Jordan water because it's extra holy. Because I got it from the river of Jordan and they, and they do this and I'm screaming and crying just like I do still to this day, you know, (laughs) it's just wonderful. He's a Christian now. What? So I go to Dana College, a Lutheran school college, and so I asked the guy, not the guy, but the chaplain on it, I said, so you're telling me that you've transferred as a pastor as your, your faith onto the baby? Yes, absolutely believe that their faith has been passed on to the baby and that they're now sealed and saved. Confirmation is just to confirm what's already taken place. Oh, because I went through confirmation, barely made it by. I got the red carnation, I wore the white gown. but boy, if they'd have looked under that gown, they'd have seen not saved, but confirmed. I said, so then why don't you as a pastor stand on top of a building with a hose and spray as many people as possible and say the words, wouldn't that be the best way? Now he knew I had got him. He knew I had got him. Because so, if it's your words and the water, and it has nothing to do with the actual soul, they don't have to respond. There's no obligation. There's no responsibility. Spray them. And he looked at me and goes, that's a good idea. I'm not paying you any more money. <laughs> I left that school. Absolutely not. He got caught. Well, yeah, theologically, that makes sense. Doesn't work, though, does it, Pastor. No, we don't do that because if we really believe that what we just did there to that baby, we'd be doing it all the time because we really want people saved. It's because it's, it's show, it's tradition, it's heartbreaking. So Paul says specifically here about baptism, I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius lest anyone should say that I had baptized in my own name. Yes, I also baptized the household of Stephanus. Besides, I do not know whether I baptized any other. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. He separates them. Not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of no effect. Don't miss those things. Those are important things. He didn't send me to baptize. He told me to get people saved by telling them about the gospel. They're two separate things. Should you be baptized? I absolutely believe you should be baptized. We baptize all the time here. Anytime when someone wants to get baptized, let's go. We absolutely need to do that. It's your first act of obedience as a Christian, because he says, be baptized in the name of the Lord. Absolutely. After you've made repentance a part of your life, and after you've accepted the forgiveness of Jesus Christ, and at that point, you're saved. Think about it. Billy Graham's Crusades. It's Baptist, Right? All these people come flooding up the aisles to get saved, right? And they all pray together and they get Bibles and there's follow up and their names are taken and all these things. If they got in a car wreck on the way home, would they still go to heaven? They haven't been baptized yet. None of them have had water baptism at the Baptist thing. Of course they're saved. Everybody knows it. Then why make it the issue? Why divide over it? It's so important. Keep it simple. The gospel is very simple. Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of no effect. Now, (laughs) that can probably be translated now, and someone will watch this online and say, Calvary Chapel doesn't believe in baptism. I knew they were a cult. No, we absolutely believe in baptism. If you're watching online, we love to be baptized. We immerse. All the way underwater, whether you like it or not. We go all the way underwater. We do the whole thing because we believe that's important and that's what we need to do. And that's what Christ commands us to do. But that's from salvation, not for it. That's the difference. It's okay. Why is it so important? Why do you hit on it so hard? Because there are some that believe because they're baptized, they're saved. When you add the baptism to the gospel and someone gets water baptized but doesn't repent of their sins, doesn't receive Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, but did get baptized, they can mistakenly think most of their lives that I was water baptized, that means I'm saved. I was christened, that means I'm saved. And they don't understand the turmoil inside of them. They don't understand what's working. The Holy Spirit trying to bring them to salvation through repentance and through the loving kindness of Christ. That's happening. But they keep telling it. The Holy Spirit, the voice inside of them, trying to minister to them. You need to get saved. I'm already saved. I'm already saved. I'm... No, you're not. Baptism can be dangerous if it's used that way. Or understood that way. Paul is awfully flippant about it if it's vital, if it's essential for salvation. It can't be because Paul's, I don't know who I baptized, I don't even remember. You'd think it'd be pretty important if it meant salvation. It doesn't. It's from it, not for it. Verse 18, for the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. He is trying to encourage them in their knowledge, in their wisdom, in their doctrinal understanding of Scripture, in their memorization of Scripture. He's going to get to it in chapter 13 especially. I don't care if you have all knowledge of spiritual things even. If you don't have love, you're nothing. It means nothing. Nothing. If you don't have the fruit of the Holy Spirit, the gifts mean nothing. If you don't have the fruit of the Holy Spirit, knowledge means nothing. And if you have any knowledge, please remember where you got it from. It is not from you and your great studying skills and your ability to grasp all mysteries. It's because it came from the Lord and to give him credit. You're not better. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer or debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? Yes. For since in the wisdom of God, the world through wisdom did not know God, it pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. Please don't misunderstand or skip this. Very important. The world has wisdom. And from the world's wisdom, they could not find God. He made it a point to do it that way. You cannot find God. It is not a mental ascension to salvation. You cannot study so hard. You cannot get it so that you finally figure out salvation. It's a faith. It is an act of God. It is an act of the Holy Spirit. It is an act of your will surrendering, not even knowing necessarily. It's it's in spite of all the knowledge you've gained. Your salvation comes and it's like, oh my goodness. Let me read it again. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? The author? Where is the debater? Where are all those people that we put on such a high pedestal in this world? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For since in the wisdom of God, this was God's wisdom, this was his idea, the world through wisdom did not know God. He made sure of it. He made sure of it. You cannot find me through the wisdom of this world. I made sure of it. That's my wisdom. You've got to find it another way. It pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. For Jews request a sign and Greeks seek after wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified. And to the Jew, that's a stumbling block. And to the Greeks, it's foolishness. But to those who are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God. And the wisdom of God, because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. I have discovered, and I'm discovering still, that, and this is one of those cases, the cross of Jesus, hmm, the cross of Jesus, and I meditate on it, and I think about it, and think about it, I'm like, yeah, yeah. This really doesn't make sense. And I go through these gymnastics in my mind. And sometimes you, unfortunately, have to listen to me work these things out publicly. But I have to work these things out. But it doesn't make any sense. How come one guy dying, how do you just give away? How does that work? I had to earn my sin. And I don't understand how this works. Mechanically, I don't understand. and, and, And I have the scriptures. I understand it. It seems foolishness to me. It seems like I don't I don't think I can quite grasp this. I don't understand. What I've learned is when I don't understand something that God has done, that means it's so wise I need to spend a lot more time thinking about it. I don't, with a cursory view, an overview of what I see doctrinally in Scripture and say and make my judgment. If I read something in Scripture, I'm like, that just seems that does not make sense. That's embarrassing. I don't want to bring that up in public because that's like a downfall of Christianity. It's one of those mistakes in the Bible or in, in no, 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 no. It's like extra wise. It's beyond me. And I need to spend more time thinking about it. And as I meditate on it and ask, and I search, and I think about these things, it's like you get epiphanies in, you get those moments where God says, I'm glad you dug a little bit further. I'm glad you trusted me a little bit more than you did on your first judgment of that scripture. I'm glad you read it a second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh time. And at the eighth time, that's when I'm going to let you get it. God does that. You got to dig. And he honors that. Search it out. It's the glory of of God to conceal a matter, wisdom, beauty, amazing, wow, sharp. It's the glory of kings to search it out. We're all called to that search it out. Dig, 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 dig further. That doesn't make sense. Dig a little further. Why am I supposed to do that for my wife? Dig further. There's a reason for it. Why am I supposed to be like that for my husband? How come he's the head of the house? Cursory view? I don't know. World says no. Dig a little further. Meditate a little longer. Trust him. There's a reason for it. And it's not for your detriment. It's not to put you under somebody's thumb. There is wisdom there and there is beauty. And there is an amazing thing that will take place in your life when you read it the fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh, or eighth time and ask God. I picked on two easy ones. There's a ton of them that as a cursory view of the scriptures. You're like, I'm going to turn the page on that one. No, no, no. That's the time to dig. Get your pickaxe out. Go a little further with the Lord. So Paul says, it was God's wisdom. He set it all up. You guys are going to try to search for God in your own wisdom, and you cannot find it that way. You've got to find it his way. You cannot find it your way. And so when you look for a sign, show me a sign. Well, how about a guy rising from the dead? We want another sign. Doesn't work. Or the Greek, we need some wisdom. Um, Your Savior died. That's just dumb to the Greek. My Savior. That's like the Coast Guard coming out to save you and watching the helicopter crash. How did that work? That's how the Greek sees the cross. No, no, no. It's the resurrection. It's what happened. Satan even was confused by it. Yay, we killed him. Oh, he's up. You know, oops. It's a stumbling block and it's foolishness. But those who are called, both Jews and and Greeks, Christ is the power of God. I don't know that we understand that fully, but that is worth digging into. Christ, the one who died on the cross is the power of God. That is the most, that's the most poignant moment in all of human history. When God shows his power, we think of God being powerful. He created everything. We see the stars. We see big things in the universe, you know, whoa, you know, just throws out these stars and casts. these things. That's a lot of power. No, he says, no, you've seen nothing yet. Wait till you see the cross. Compared to everything we we herald as God's power, He says, "No, no, you got to see the cross." And we look at it and we see that in the cross, it's the three nails, yeah. And you go through it, in your mind, how is that the power of God? Search it out. It's more powerful than anything you've ever witnessed, anything you've ever seen or observed that God's ever done. It's the power of God, because the foolishness of God is wiser than men. And the weakness of God is stronger than men. For you see your calling, brethren. <laughs> Those at Corinth who boast in their Paulus, Paul, Cephas, I'm of Jesus only. I don't follow any man. I just find Jesus on my boat. That's where that Jesus comment came from. I don't need to go to any church. I'm above it. No, you're not. You see your calling, brethren, this beautiful calling. Not many wise, according to the flesh. Not many mighty. Not many noble that is an insult to them it shouldn't be but anybody that prides themselves on their intellect on their wisdom on their ability on their nobility on all these things he just said no 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 he doesn't call those people the reason you're saved is because you're in a perfect example of how you can show christ and glorify christ because you're not that smart because you're not that noble because you're not that great hmm positive, encouraging Calvary tonight. It is truth. It's beautiful because what Paul is trying to bring in this letter is in their pride, in their arrogance, they've made themselves useless to Christ. They're not effective. They're not an effective church. What God is trying to bring them to through Paul is to humility and meekness. Jenny and I had a conversation about meekness the other night, or the other morning, I guess it was. We were talking about meekness, and she was sharing with me, and I'm like, you know, meekness is power under control. And that's what the Corinthian church is sorely lacking. They had power. They had gifts, but they had no control. And that lack of control caused them to become prideful in their own heart, to elevate themselves above everybody else around them, and actually point to their own achievements as Goals that others could reach, but should try to, but you're probably not going to. And so Paul says, no, no, don't you understand your calling? He picked you because you're not wise, because you're not mighty, because you're not noble. That's why he called you. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty and the base things of the world and the things which are despised. God has chosen. And the things which are not, to bring to nothing the things that are. That no flesh should glory in his presence. No flesh, not a single human being should glory. You're lucky to have me, God. Did a funeral for Kathy Wright. Probably won't mention her many more times than this, but it's fresh in my mind. She's why we came to Maryville, Missouri to start a church. She is. She had a background that was rough. From almost day one, month five or six, she showed up as a broken woman who had lived a life and had a lot of history and knew it. And she spent the rest of her life with Jesus Christ in a state of gratitude. She knew who she was and she knew what he had done for her. And many people missed it. Many people didn't understand or didn't, we didn't come for the healthy. We came for the sick. We came for people that, you know, could not glory in themselves and didn't and don't. Paul says, Corinthians, please don't forget that. I'm not trying to make you feel bad. I'm trying to look, make Christ look good. You're supposed to, too. You're supposed to bring glory to God. God has chosen the foolish things. And if you're chosen, I'm chosen child of God, you know what you're saying about yourself then. That's a good thing. It brings humility. It brings meekness. It helps you to understand you're careful with the speck in your brother's eye. You're careful in a whole lot of areas of ministry because you always remember who you are. And what Christ has done for you. And you're able to carefully minister to somebody who you truly believe in your heart is better than you. And that you can help them. I'm just so thankful God's letting me help you. You're not privileged to be in my life. I'm privileged to be able to be a servant of God in this moment in your life. So important. He's chosen the base things that no flesh should glory in his presence, but of him, you're in Christ Jesus who became for us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption that as it is written, he who glories, let him glory in the Lord. Always, 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 always glory in the Lord. That's where we close tonight. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for Paul's, What a tough letter to write. and It doesn't get much easier after this, but he knew he had to write it because he so wanted these believers and you so wanted these believers to have the fullness of Christ in their life. Not just the name, not just a badge of honor, but actually have in their heart, the fullness that you offer us. Your son, Jesus came to serve. He set down his glory. He never had a home. He stayed in other people's houses. He always relied on your Holy Spirit. He always was refreshed by being in your presence. He lived the life that we're to live. And thank you for him and his example. Help us to be like that, unified. We all believe in Jesus. We all love you, Lord, that we are saved by grace and we accept that, Lord. Help us not to serve in that capacity also. Although it may sound discouraging, it's encouraging us Help us to be those wells of life because we know who we are and we don't have any great wisdom to share, but we do have you. And we will be bold for you and we will open our mouths for you because we don't care about our reputation. We don't care how we're received. We don't care what we'll look like if we say these things. We only want to share the truth and love to bring you glory. And then we'll be an effective church will be an effective Christian believer in you. We have that. We desire that. So Lord, help us. Lord, more and more and more of that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you need prayer before you go, please come up. Be glad to pray with you. Otherwise, have a good rest of the week.